Welcome to Celebration Church's podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and trust Him more. To learn more about Celebration Church, please visit us at celebrationchurchlive.com. Well, we uh, are wrapping up our uh, Try This at Home series. Uh, we've been on the last seven weeks just trucking along with this concept that um, that we that is our heartbeat that um, we should every day be growing in and the knowledge of who God is and, and what he's done in our lives. And the stuff of Christianity, it's not stuff that's relegated towards Sunday morning or a handful of people who've been taught and trained in seminary or something like that. Christianity is supposed to be lived out by every believer, the stuff of it, the, the praying, the, the proclaiming, the teaching, the preaching, the, the life, all of it should be lived out by us in our homes. It should be an everyday part of it, and I realize that it can be intimidating, especially if you're new to this, uh, to think, oh, man, I'm the one who's supposed to pray. I'm the one who's supposed to, to break open the Scriptures and maybe share something with somebody. I'm the one who can, can step up and be a witness, and the truth is, yes, absolutely. And we've put the thing, try this at home, because I want you to just step out and give it a whirl. You don't have to be perfect at it. You don't have to be amazing at it. Um, you just have to step out into it. And I'm telling you, man, the Holy Spirit, God will use, man, what, what we put in his hands. And it is an absolutely beautiful thing. Keenan did a great job last week of reminding us that there is no separation between the secular and the sacred. For us, it's all sacred. There's no secular part of our lives. Every part of it should be a place that's just connected with, with God. And, and he says that it's in him we live and move and have our being. That whatever our hand finds to do, do it as unto the Lord. That he wants to be involved in every piece of our life. And so as we've been looking at this series, if you've got your, your Bible app open, you've got your bulletin, your QR, however you're accessing this, we've been looking at this thought that if we're truly going to grow and knowing God better and trusting him more, then we're going to have to do this at home, that home should be the base for all of our spiritual growth. We love being a part of your spiritual journey. We love being a part of what God is doing in your life and to help act, uh, resource and help you access the things that you need. But Sunday mornings should not be the home base for your spiritual growth. We're like a fueling depot for you to go back to base and be able to utilize the things that, that you learn here. And we've been looking at John chapter 15, verse 4. And again, I really love the way this reads in the New King James Version because this word abide is such a rich word. Abide in me and I in you. And as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And that abide is to live, is to stay connected, to be fully a part of him and him fully a part of us. And that's where real life, real life exists. And for us to do that, if we're going to abide in Christ, then we have to invite him into our abode, where we live, where we lay our head and, and, and all of the the, the highs and lows of life exist right there in our gritty, everyday part of life. God wants to be involved in that. And today we're looking at home again because this is what we want. We want to see this happen again and again and again. You and I 
We are thousands of miles and thousands of years removed from Jesus speaking this to his disciples. Jesus is speaking to his disciples in John 15. And we are thousands of years and thousands of miles removed from that. But the reason you and I are connecting with this and choosing to abide in Christ is because from home to home to home, from year to year, from century to century, from millennia to millennia, the truth of this has, been, has moved forward. It's not been necessarily from pulpit to pulpit, from synagogue to synagogue, from temple to temple, from church to church. It's moved from home to home to home throughout the centuries. That is how it's got here. And so we have to embrace that, that we want to see this home again. We want to see this for the next generation. And, and the truth is, is, what the, our generations are really embracing. Man, I tell you what, you're doing a great job, mom and dad, for coming and making Sunday morning and church a priority. You are helping to set a mindset. But what this should be doing is, is connecting with what's happening every day because whether we like it or not, our children are embracing more and more what they watch us do and overhear and connect with more than what we say, hey, this is the way this needs to be. They're just picking it up. They're just drinking it in that our daily life and our daily choices are doing that. And I was reminded of that a long time ago when Keenan was about five years old and Keenan had decided that he wanted to be a drummer. And so he's always had a musician's bent and so he, he's a fantastic guitar player and, and, uh, and a really good singer, which he got nothing from me. And my, my wife's got those skill sets. And, and, um, but uh, not a guitar player, but just a, she's a, she's a flautist. <laughs> do, 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 do. And so... Uh, uh, <laughs> good luck. <laughs> and, uh, but... Uh, so he decided his first instrument he wanted to play, like all, you know, five-year-olds who wanted to, to hit stuff. Uh, and so he wanted, to, uh, he wanted to play the drums. So we got him a little practice pad. We were not remotely ready. We knew we weren't sane enough or sanctified enough to have a drum kit in our house with a five-year-old. Um, things were not going to go well. And uh, so we got a little quiet practice pad. And uh, he was going to learn how to, you know, keep time on that. And so he needed some drumsticks. And so there was a, 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 a Osborne's music doesn't exist anymore over here on Sherwood Way. And so I had him in the car with me. So we were going to go pick him out some drumsticks. And we walk into Osborne's music. I don't know anything about drumsticks, but I know everything that there are different price points to everything. So that you can spend a lot of money on some drumsticks, or you can spend a little less money on some drumsticks. I didn't know brand names. I didn't know anything. So I walk up to the counter, and there's the drumsticks behind there. And, and the guy at the counter says, how can I help you? And so Keenan is sitting there at five years old, and, and I tell the guy, I like, dude, um, I just need some cheap drumsticks. And he's like, all right. So he reaches over there, gets the cheapest drumsticks that he had to sell, about six bucks for the pair. I'm like, fantastic. So we get in and pay for them, load up, head back in, and end up going to the, to the office. And Keenan would carry those drumsticks with him everywhere. And, man, he goes into the office so proud of his drumsticks, and he goes in, and he's like, my dad bought me some cheap drumsticks. <laughs> and I'm like, 
like, yes, but they're just drumsticks, son. They're just drumsticks. No, Dad, they're cheap drumsticks. I heard you got me the cheap ones. And he thought it was like I'd like got like I wanted the top of the line. Like I want it in there and I don't want the Ford. I don't want the Mercedes. I want the Ferrari drumsticks. This is my son. I'm going to get him the best. And he didn't understand cheap at that point in time. And he didn't understand how cheap his dad is. So I learned to take the word cheap out of my vocabulary because he was so proud. He thought that was a name brand. Man, I got cheap drumsticks. I don't, know what, I don't know what you punks are playing, but I'm playing cheap. And so, and man, I learned real quick that, man, they pick up on those things and they put their own little spin on them. And something maybe we are not thinking it's it's fantastic, and we're just trying to get by, man, because mom or dad embraced it. Mom or dad did. It's awesome. This is the good stuff. This is the way it ought to be. This is the high point of life when really we're just trying to just get through, and we're just trying to skate by and get through that one little thing, and they don't realize it, and that becomes their high point when really it's not even something we're proud of because they don't know any better. It's that thing that in the daily stuff, we make an impartation. And when we look at the scriptures, we see that pivotal moments throughout Christian history have taken place in homes. And you open up your Bible, if you're new to this Christianity thing, you get to the the New Testament, and the first four books of the New Testament are the Gospels. They're four different guys' accounts of the life and ministry of Jesus. And then we get through that, you read through that, and we see the life and ministry of Jesus. Then we get to the, to the fifth book, and it's called the Acts of the Apostles. And it is a short history of how the early church did things from the very beginning all the way, all the way through. And then it stops, and then it gets into the, to the letters and some of the teachings and some of the stuff that helps us understand from a New Covenant perspective the teachings of Jesus and what it means to be a New Testament believer with the book of Romans, and we move forward. And so we look at the Acts of the Apostles. It's a history book for us who are, who are Christians, who are the Christ followers, who are the children of God. And so as we look at this history book and we move forward, we'll sit here and start in Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 1 is actually like the tail end of the gospel because Jesus is there still living in the flesh and we see him ascend into heaven and, and then we see the, the early church trying to figure things out. But he had told them, I need you to not do anything until the Holy Spirit comes. And when the Holy Spirit comes, then that's going to be a significant marker that you can now begin to do the things I've called and equipped you to do. So in Acts chapter 2, verse 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They were there in a home. They were in the upper room, the big area, they're just a big open like attic space, big public space in somebody's house. There's 120 of them all packed up in there that they were in praying, they were in one accord, they were, they were in harmony, and they were there and it was in a home that God breathes the Holy Spirit and it descends upon the, those early believers and the Holy Spirit begins to live within them. 
It wasn't something that the Old Testament talked about the Holy Spirit descending upon somebody. And, and David saying, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. That is not the framework of us anymore. We don't have to worry about God taking his Holy Spirit from us. We're his children. We're, he, he inhabits us. He has filled us. And from that point forward, the, the, the New Testament believers, we have had God living within us. And that marks, most church historians say that moment marks the birth of the early church. And the early church goes from Acts chapter 2 forward. So the birthplace, the church had a home birth. It wasn't in a big institution. It wasn't in a synagogue. It wasn't in the temple. It happened in a home. We move forward to Acts chapter 9. And here we have uh, Paul, who is a, a crucial, crucial person in the, the life of the early church. And, and um, he had had his Damascus Road experience, and he, he was temporarily blinded and and um, then they're in Damascus because they had finished his journey and ends up in Damascus. And there in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. And, and the Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. And the Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. Here he gets told, don't go find this awesome, amazing guy who's going to rock the world in, in a temple, in a synagogue, in a church. He's in a house, and he's praying. He's just praying in a house. I want you to go over to that house and go there. And so he goes. And, and <clears throat> For in a vision, he had seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. And so... Ananias has a little back and forth with God in his vision, and, and he ends up going and laying hands on him, and this miracle happens in this house, and, and Ananias gets connected with an with, with a early believer and a, a pivotal person in the early church who can vouch for him because prior to this, he had been persecuting the church and throwing them in jail and sending them off to their death, and they were afraid of Paul, and that initial connection for Paul happens in a house. Over and over again, it, it happens in a house. Then in Acts chapter 10, we see that, that, we, that the first Gentiles, prior to Acts chapter 10, they thought that this was only for the Jews. That for people like me and probably you who don't have any Jewish heritage, that we were on the outs on this, that the gospel and the Messiah was for the Jews. And, and they really thought that for a while as they preached. They didn't think people who were non-Jews could have a relationship with God. And God himself dealt with that fallacy and that, that throughout the scriptures that there had been a promise that it was for all mankind. And there was a Gentile named Cornelius who was a centurion in the Roman army. And, and so here in verse 30, it says, And Cornelius answered, Three days ago I was <clears throat> in my house praying at this hour, at three in the afternoon. Here's a Roman centurion, a Gentile guy, at his house, not fulfilling some sort of religious obligation and that he'd showed up to the synagogue or he showed up to the temple to pray. And he's praying not at our normal prayer times, 
first thing in the morning or right before we go and say our prayers at night. He's praying at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. This is a guy with a lot of responsibilities. This is a guy who leads 100 soldiers. This is a guy who's in charge and is respected, and he's in his home at 3 o'clock in the afternoon praying. What a beautiful picture of what this ought to be looking at our homes filled with prayer and he was he was praying at three in the afternoon suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and and said Cornelius God has heard your prayer and 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 remembered your gifts to the poor send to Joppa for Simon who is called Peter he is a guest in the home of Simon the tanner who lives by the sea so here is a moment happening in a home and then there's another guy at an, another home. We keep reading. Peter is there on the roof of that home, and he's praying, and God has to give him this vision to be even willing to say yes to this. But again, that vision happens. It happens in a home, Acts 20, 20, where Paul declares, we have not, not ceased teaching you both publicly and house to house. This home thing is all through the scriptures, in fact, not only does the book of Acts, our history book, start with these powerful moments taking place in a home, in these individual moments, the last couple of verses of the book of Acts are about what's taking place in a home. In Acts 28, verse 30, it says, for two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. And he proclaimed the kingdom of God and he taught about the, the Lord Jesus with all boldness and without hindrance. Where was he proclaiming this? Where was he teaching it with boldness and without hindrance? There in the place where he was on house arrest in his own rented house. His house became his pulpit. His house became his place of ministry. His house was a place of boldness. His house was a place that there was no hindrance for the gospel going out. It was at his own house. And those were the last two verses of the book of Acts. At that point, the book of Acts closes and it says, guess what? The rest of you in Christian history, the baton is yours. And all you have to do to carry this on is do what Paul's doing in the last two verses and preach boldly without hindrance in your own house. You've got the, all the pulpit you need already. You've got all the place to launch already. You don't need something else. Just begin right there in your own home. And if we'll keep this alive in our homes, the gates of hell can't stop it. No government, no election can move it one way or the other. It is moved through persecuted places and people had to hide in their homes. It is moved where places where it was free to be proclaimed and it has been in homes again and again and again and again. This is what the life of this is supposed to be. It's supposed to take place in homes and not only have critical things happened in the life of the, of the church in homes. Critical moments have happened in my own Christian life in homes. I shared at the marriage retreat. I'm so thankful. My wife did not. The love of my life, co-pastor of this church, mother of my children, she did not come to Jesus in a moment like this in the church. She's sitting there in the living room of my family's house 
saying, I want to know more about Jesus. And she got led to Jesus in a living room. I'm so thankful that moments can still happen in a home. See, pivotal moments for our Christian future must take place in homes. James 5.16 says the, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And you can say, okay, pastor, that verse doesn't apply to me because I know me and I know the week I've had and I'm not very righteous. You know, the Bible says not, none are righteous, no, not one. That's why Jesus had to come. And the righteousness that this is talking about is those who are aware of the fact that they have been made right with God through Jesus Christ. The prayer of a righteous man, a biblically New Testament righteous person is someone who is walking in the awareness of what Jesus alone has accomplished for him. Not sitting here and saying, God, I've had a good week and you owe me this prayer request. I've showed up to church. I've given a little bit of money. I've done this. I didn't punch my boss. I've had a good week. And you owe me a little bit, God. And I'm going to bring this prayer request, and I'm cashing in on my good Christian duty because I've been, I've been good this week. No, as we come boldly before the throne of grace, recognizing that we don't deserve to be there, but God has placed us there in Jesus Christ, that we are righteous because of what he's done. And someone who recognizes that they're right based on what Jesus has done and Jesus has done alone, their prayers are powerful and effective. And guess what? If you're a child of God, that is you. That is you. You're a righteous person. And your prayers, when you pray from an understanding of who you are in Christ, they are powerful and effective. If you pray and say, oh, God, it's just me again, just old sinner, you're not going from that attitude of that you are right in Christ. We're sitting there, we're throwing some Holy Ghost crap dice up there saying, well, all right, come on, sweet Jesus, let me see. Well, not again, all right. Guess I'll do it on my own. No! You've been made right in Christ. And when you stand on that, like, Lord, I have been made right by Jesus. And I'm talking to my daddy. Yes, he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Yes, he's the creator of all, but he's my daddy and he cares about me. And I'm talking to him. And those prayers, they're powerful and effective. John, 3 John 1, 2 says, Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. Folks, our soul should be, our mind, our will and emotions. Everything else is gonna hinge on how well you let God restore your soul. You don't let him restore your mind, your will and your emotions and your life is gonna be train wreck after train wreck after train wreck. But you let him restore your mind, your will and your emotions, man, it'll turn your whole life. Even your health, it'll turn around. <clears throat> he says, and it gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth, telling how you continue to walk in it. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy. There's nothing he wanted to know more than that his children were walking in the truth. Folks, that is a place that you and I, we should begin to desire that above every other thing. I am so thankful that I have a heritage of faith. My great-great-grandfather, 
prayed a prayer based on this understanding of who Jesus was, that it was, he was righteous in Christ alone, and that he'd have no greater joy than to see his legacy walking in faith. See, my great-great-grandfather was, was a, a, a farmer here in Texas, and, and he'd put up the grain in the barn, and a rat infestation began to come and to eat away at was their life saying they didn't have money in the bank. They had seed and they had crop in the deal that it was and these rats were eating it away. And so to protect the what the family's future, um, then he did what any head of the house would do and began to 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 want to poison these rats and to to get rid of them and to protect it. And my great grandfather was five years old um, at the time and he told this story multiple times. I tried to get it on audio um, and save it in his voice um, whenever I was in high school. And uh, he couldn't get a, a sentence and a half out without just weeping. And, uh, but he'd tell the story when his father was just trying to protect what was theirs. And he'd gone to go get some poison. And we did not have some of the safeguards that we have now today. And you could get stuff that was way too strong and did not have proper use labels. And that's why those things are on there. And uh, he took there and he put the poison up under, crawled up under the floorboards of, of the barn, put the rat poison under there, and a, and a, and a wind came and blew that um, and just blew it all into his face. And he just inhaled a whole bunch of that, that <coughs> dust of that poison, um, crawls out, and he begins to get deathly sick. And he ends up with a... Uh, pneumonia, and he has to sit in the rocking chair in the living room, can't even lay down, or the fluids begin to hold him back, and he knew um, that his time was done. He, did, he had an awareness of Jesus as, as Savior. He did not have an awareness of Jesus as, as healer and restorer, and, and he stood on the legacy of that, and he called his family into that little room, and uh, my, my grandfather remembers standing there, and he talks about holding on to the bedpost as his daddy was sitting in the rocking chair. And uh, his daddy, my, my great-great-grandfather, Daniel Joseph Dean, began to pray over his children and began to pray over his wife and began to pray in the hearing of his children for the man who would come in and marry his wife and love her like he loved her and be a daddy to those kids who needed a daddy. And he began to pray that, that prayer. And my grandfather, my great-grandfather remembers hanging on to that bedpost and just remembering that prayer. And he quickly breathed his last breath. And sure enough, there was a man that came along and began to show interest in my great-great-grandmother and stepped in as a stepdad and loved my great-grandfather like a, like a daddy should love and, and cared and nurtured them and brought them along. And he remembers one of the prayers is, wasn't just for his children, but for that his children's children and for their children and for the children that would come out of those children and began to pray for me. And I was a long way down the line that I would begin to, to love God and have a relationship with God. And he was praying for my kids well before they ever showed up with his dying breath. Folks, it matters 
that we sit there and maybe everything is slipping away, but the, our, our hope in Christ is solid. And to begin to look to the future and say, I want nothing more. With my last breath, I want nothing more than for my children and my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren to love God and to, and to follow Him all the days of our, our lives. That is one of the things that has carried this on. I'm so grateful for a heritage of faith. And maybe that's not your family, but guess what? You can start it. You can begin it. Maybe you were handed that. Maybe you don't have those stories, but you can begin to create those stories. You can begin to live those things out. 1 Thessalonians 1-2 says, We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. See, the hope we have in Jesus gives us the endurance to continue to live this at home. And I know it takes that. I know it takes endurance. Romans 15 verse 4 says, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the Scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude and mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had so that with one mind and one voice we may glorify the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one. Our hope in him. It gives us the endurance we need. And Jesus explained the kingdom of God like this in Mark chapter 4. He said, this is the kingdom, kingdom of God. It is like a man scattered seed on the ground night and day whether he sleeps or gets up the seed sprouts and it grows though he doesn't know how all by itself the soil produces grain first the stalk then the head then the full kernel in the head and as soon as the grain is ripe he puts the sickle to it and because the harvest has come we don't have to fully understand all the processes. What we're called is to put the seed out there. We're called to put the seed out there. And if we'll begin to do that and sow seed into our children and sow seed into the next generation, I'm telling you, we don't have to understand the processes. But if we put it out there, God makes it begin to sprout and then to grow and then eventually have the full harvest. And just because it doesn't look like it's ready to be put, have your corn on the cob right when it comes out of the ground, guess what? Let it keep growing. Let it keep growing. You're like, Brandon, I've been praying for my kids, and all they look like a stalk. There's no, there's no fruit on there. Keep sowing that seed. I'm telling you, God has done it over and over and over again. Our bottom line today. That is where it is. This has got this far from home to home to home. And so this morning... We get to enjoy and to celebrate. We've got baptism in both services today, but this morning I want to celebrate. And we want to have, a, um, I forgot my paper. We want to have Alec come up here. Come up here. And uh, we're going to have a baptism this morning and to celebrate the truth. That we step over from death to life. By simply placing our faith in Him. That we're made righteous, not by anything we do, but by what Christ has done. That is what makes 
the difference. That is what makes the difference. And it's not even anything special about the water. It's San Angelo water in a blow-up hot tub. Here's what's taking place. You just have to sit down, bud. There we go. Alec, do you believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father except by him? Do you believe that God was in Christ reconciling you to himself and making you fully right with God? Do you believe that heaven is your home and that you will be with him forever? And based on that declaration of faith, we baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Awesome. Awesome, awesome. Awesome. We have one more. Awesome. Isabel, fantastic. Good morning, Isabel. Isabel, do you believe that God loves you? Do you believe that he demonstrated his love for you? Do you believe that he did that through the person of Jesus? Do you believe that based on what Jesus did and Jesus did alone, that you're made right with God. Then based on that declaration of faith, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Yes. Awesome, 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 awesome. Well, that's what this is about. This is about the truth that Jesus came to make us right with him. This moment, this moment is about celebrating and being public about the truth that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. A hundred percent. There's nothing else we can add to it and there's nothing we can take away from it. It's in Christ and Christ alone. So if we like to create a quiet moment and if you're here this morning and you would like to say yes to that yourself, if you'd like to, like to place your faith in what Jesus did and Jesus did alone, that you recognize that it's not based on what you have done or what you plan to do, but just Jesus, then you're ready to say yes to that and receive forgiveness and life in him. I want you to just raise your hand, and we just want to pray with you this morning. We just want to pray with you. Praise God, yes, yes. Believers, I want you to just lift your voice with these, and we're going to pray together. Say, Heavenly Father, I thank you for loving me. I thank you for loving me so much that you sent Jesus, that Jesus' death covers my death, and Jesus' life gives me life. Today I am your child, and you're my father, and heaven is my home, in Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. If you could stand up, I just wanna pray over you as we go out of here. Heavenly Father, Lord, we're so thankful Lord, for the truth that has, has come to our ears, Lord, and it's crossed thousands of miles and thousands of years. 
Heavenly Father, as we stand here today recognizing that it's in Jesus, in Jesus alone, that we have life and have it more abundantly. Lord, we go out of here looking not to our system of of life, Heavenly Father, but to you, the author and the giver of life. You are the one, Lord, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. So we look to you all week long. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Celebration Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.